to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Oh my God, happy 250 episodes, Eleni. Can you believe it? <laughs> 250, wow. It has been such an amazing journey for us sharing these stories from this industry that we love and get to work in every day. I can't believe it's up that high. I just want to take a minute to go back in time to seven years ago after Alan Cohen, my business coach, called me and said, you should start a podcast. And I asked him why. <laughs> and he said, because you'd get to talk to people one-on-one, which is something that I really love. So I remember turning to Eleni and being like, let's Google how to make a podcast. And then we did it. Yeah. It feels like a million years ago, but also so like yesterday, because I remember that conversation so clearly. And it is amazing how the technology has changed, how our approach to the podcast and just how many people want to be part of the show every day. I think our producer Natasha's inbox is truly flooded with people who really want to share their stories and be part of the conversation on the show, which is so amazing that this started as a tool for connection and conversation and look at how many stories we've gotten to tell. It always like really like tickles my heart when I meet people who actually listen. I was at a client's headquarters corporate office this week, actually, and I was hosting a meet and greet where um, people from all over the company can come and have breakfast with us and we can get to know more people. And this one woman approached me who I had never met and she said, I listened to your show. And then we started an incredible conversation, you know, about her career and her journey in this industry. And, you know, I, if I didn't have the podcast, I wouldn't actually get to meet so many amazing people. Oh, absolutely. It's such a great industry icebreaker. I feel like with hiring as well, it's such a nice way for people to learn more about our company and about the work that you do and the vision you have for our agency just to understand more of the behind the scenes. So it's really special. Well, I love the theme we're in right now. First quarter is our C-suite wisdom theme. And it makes me happy to talk to all these incredible leaders. It's like free therapy and free business coaching for me. And on this episode, this is Lance Patterson. He's the CEO of Juice Beauty. And he just took this job. I actually saw the announcement in the trades that he was taking on this role. And I linked in him immediately. And I said, do you want to be on my show? And he responded immediately, which is just so cool. That's so cool. The show is so artful and getting a behind the scenes peek at the real life personal stories along with those professional wins. Yes. Lance has moved quite a bit for his career. So we spent a lot of time talking about that and how to manage, you know, of course, the negotiation of what's right for my family versus what's right for my career. So I think a lot of people can relate to this conversation. So I hope they tune in and give it a listen. Juice Beauty is another brand like last episode with the real person founder, Karen Banke, handing over the day-to-day operations to a new CEO. Yes. You know, what was so fascinating when we were recording with Lance over Instagram Live, so many of the people in the comment section are people who are brand owners who want to know what that next step is ahead of them. Like, when is it going to be time for me to bring someone else? in a CEO. And it was an incredible conversation in the comments. I think Lance has a lot of fans and they're really excited for him and cheering him on as he helps take Karen's vision from where it is now to growth. Let's get to it. Here is episode 250, Lance Patterson, CEO of Juice Beauty Inc. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we continue our new quarter, C-Suite Wisdom, with Lance Patterson. He's the CEO of Juice Beauty. 
a senior executive with 20 plus years of experience in the global market and brand strategy across luxury retail and digital sectors, including Kate Somerville Skincare and Peter Thomas Roth Clinical Skincare. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about his career journey from gold buying to gold makeup, all on episode 250. So Lance, welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Hi, hi. Thanks for having me. So I've never met you in person. I don't think we've ever met, right? No, right? we haven't ever met. We should have already met, but we will find each other in real life somewhere. We love that. And I reached out to you like the day after it was announced that you're taking over as CEO of Juice. And this is like such cool timing. It's great. I love it. Thank you. You made me feel special. <laughs> This is really major because Juice is like an, o- like, you know, Karen's an OG. And to be able to like have a founder, I mean, she's had to work so hard, right? Like to not just start the business, but to have lasted this long when this world of clean beauty was like so not even trending back when she did this. She really has been climbing up a mountain for a very long time. And to get to the point where she's ready to say, I'm going to bring in additional expertise is so major. Yeah, it was such a privilege to meet her and connect. And it was like this instant chemistry we had. It was just, I really, I loved her story and her passion for what she believes in. And, you know, she, Karen has this just amazing, you know, she's been in the wellness industry forever. And then for her to tr- entrust me as the first person outside coming in. And, you know, it can't be easy uh, for her because, you know, someone else is coming in and seeing things a little differently and she's just been embracing it. So it's really great. I know a lot of founders and a lot of founders who have, you know, worked hard for decades and like have in private said to me, I just don't want to do this anymore by myself, right? It's like, it's so hard, right? Your brain never shuts off. The demands of the business never shut off. And that ambition never slows down, right? It just sort of speeds up as you make more progress. So what do you think it was about your background and your experience that made it so that she could just breathe and like let you take on this role? I have had the good fortune to work with five founders. And each of those experiences has been very different. From Marcia Kilgore at Bliss, right when I started at uh, In Beauty in 1999-2000, all the way then to Peter at Peter Thomas Roth, and most recently Kate at Kate Somerville. Each of those, are in, they're so different. The thing that's really amazing about Karen is she has like this dual mind where she is both the creative and the business side and there's a not only there's the passion on the brand but then there's this logic on the business side Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really unique combination and I had that with Marcia and I find Karen to be the same and it's pretty incredible so me having worked with so many founders and having having had those experiences and sharing them with her I think she felt comfortable because of that. That brought comfort to her. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. And then she talked to people, you know, she talked to Sephora and some of, you know, the big customers and who I've known for decades. And I think that added a level of comfort also. There is something so different about working with a founder owned and led brand than with a 
corporate brand where there is no founder, it's not surprising that she would gravitate towards you, right? Because there's so much more, I guess, substance that can come through when there's an actual human who's been um, guiding this for, you know, since inception. But it also requires a type of personality and nimbleness on the part of the um, C-suite who's leading that effort to know how to work with another human who's, this is their baby. Uh, yeah. You know, Peter was a really great learning for me because Peter was upset, is obsessed with product, ingredients, the brand image. And he, he really taught me that it's not about, I think a lot of people working in founder-based businesses have trouble, especially in marketing, because they want it to be what they think it should be. And, you know, what their experience tells them. But what I've learned from the founders I've worked with, and like I said, especially Peter, is that it's not about, it's not my vision, it's their vision. It's what they've created. My job is just to help orchestrate it and to to help bring their vision to life. E- even though sometimes it can be maddening, you know, it it really is like, they they created this, you know, Karen created this. It's not up to me to make it something it's not. Uh, it's to bring it forward. And I think that's where sometimes the founders get stuck. You know, they get to a certain point with any business, you get to a certain point and how do you go forward? How do you go to that next step? And that's hard. Okay. So Lance, let's go way back in time because this is a career journey show. And, you know, most of us start off as ambitious children with big ideas. So like your 11 year old self, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. I have a book still today. It's called a book about me. And they still actually published it today. And I wasn't very good at um, spelling. And I had a tutor from across the street, you know, a neighbor, and she would come and she bought me this book. So I filled out this book and drew pictures, you know, it asked questions about where you want to be, where you want to live. And there were two things that I drew when I was 11. One was a diamond ring. And the other was an Empire State Building, picture of the Empire State Building. And I I can't draw, so you can imagine what it must have looked like. Fast forward, uh, I ended up in New York City being a buyer for a jewelry company. So my dream back then at 11 was to be a buyer. That's when there were still, what, 28 different department store nameplates around the country before Macy's took them all over and closed half of them. So, you know, those are the good old days of being a merchant and really... Yeah, that's what I wanted to be. Where were you growing up? I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I started my career at Kaufman's Department Store. Are you a Steelers fan? I am a Steelers fan, yes, of course. My husband is a Steelers fan, or I guess now he's a sad Steelers fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel it. Pittsburgh is definitely a football town. They They love their football. I went to a game there with my husband and I was, I thought the city was so cute. Like all the bridges. I I thought that was such a cool way to organize the city. Yeah. It's really incredible. It's, they call it the city of bridges. I think it has the most bridges in the country. Uh, They also have these inclines that go up the hills and it's, there's a lot of beautiful things about the city. I couldn't wait to get out, but now going back, of course it's, it's, it's lovely. The Warhol Museum was really impressive too. Super impressive. Funny story. My dad was a policeman and um, he he was up there in the ranks and he had a really good friend that owned a, a junkyard, you know, where they like dumped the junk. 
and he painted things and he would paint with these weird animal feet. So I had, he did it with chicken feet and a, whatever. Anyway, turns out it's Andy Warhol's brother. So um, he, he's passed away now, obviously, but um, his name was Warhola. So I have two original Warhollas. Oh, oh, that's so awesome. Are they like animal feet Warhollas? Yeah, they are. <laughs> My husband thinks I'm crazy because I keep them in storage. But I'm like, you never know. You never know. You, that's a memento of Pittsburgh exactly. past. So you need that. Exactly. That's awesome. Exactly. Okay, so you dreamed of the big city. You dreamed of jewelry. You made that happen. What did it take to get that first job? I was not a great student. I just, I worked. I always worked. I put myself through college. I had two jobs and one was a waiter at an Italian restaurant, which if you're ever in Pittsburgh, Papa J's, it's amazing. And um, the other was uh, I taught, I sold memberships at a health club. So anyway, I didn't really have experience. My grades were just okay. And I couldn't get a job. I was interviewing to be at a buyer. And in those days, they had buyer programs where you entered and you went through these classes and this uh, stuff. Um, and there were three department stores where I grew up, Gimbel's, Horns, and Kaufman's. And two of them were based in Pittsburgh, Horns and Kaufman's. And I interviewed with Horns and I, a friend got me an interview and I got declined. And then I went through the normal way with Kaufman's and I got declined. So... I got a job uh, on the selling floor, and I was put in the sweatsuit department <laughs> um, where they, you know, sold champion sweats and T-shirts and stuff like that. And I was the one that volunteered always to be there first and move racks around. And what I quickly learned was that the area I was in was the en employee entrance door. And uh, that's where all the buying people came through. So within, I don't know, a few months, everyone knew who Lance was, you know, because well, I'm a little loud and, you know, I have no fear. So I just introduced myself to everybody and blah, 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 blah. And eventually I got an interview. I remember the DMM that got me the interview saying, Lance, be calmly confident in the interview because I was a little hyper. Yeah, so I did it and I got it. And yeah, that's how I ended up getting the job. It was really through grit uh, and perseverance. So first of all, we're dating ourselves because now we would call it athleisure. Yes, right? of course. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We, we call it athleisure. Um, and also, you know, with like the changing and of retail, right? Like how retail has just sort of like been squeezed into, you know, be m much fewer brands and much fewer opportunities. I'm curious about what you see as like a really good first path for young people if they want to like enter this world, right? Going into a program like you did was a great first job. There's really limited first jobs, right? That are going to give you a foundation. What are what, what you seeing young people go to to um, try to get started? I think today, first off, it matters less than ever if you go to college or not. I think that 
I mean, I went to college, but I don't, you know, for me, that's not what it is about. It's about getting that practical experience. And it could be, you know, working at retail on the sales floor, you know, because there you're really learning how to interact. It's about customer service. It's about, you know, listening and understanding. It's about, you know, also numbers. It sounds silly, but just like entering numbers, people three plus five, they're like, oh my God, you know, so I was able to really learn those things through my, you know, experience in going through these buying programs. But I also learned a tremendous amount from just working and just being and persevering. One thing I lack and I work on still today is patience and for myself. And I was told quite often, Lance, have patience, have patience. And I want to tell everyone, have patience, but don't, you know, and. And, and, you know, just keep asking and keep pushing. And I was just like a sponge. I would ask questions and listen to the response and then go put it into practice. So I think, yeah, it's just getting that experience and being responsible. I think that's the that's the best first step. So maybe it's have patience, but also have ambition. Correct. You can't let no one's going to do it for you. You know, I think that you have to do it for yourself. I know a lot of people say today there's a lot of entitlement, but I don't know that I see that. I, I see it more as just people understand that, you know, in the past you had a job and you had it for a long time and you were loyal and the company was kind of loyal. And today, I think loyalty is about what's good for you. And if you want to stay and be focused, I think it is going to pay off in the long run. I think when you skip around a lot, I do think you, you know, you can't accomplish anything. And I think that's the other thing is I think, see, I didn't understand that as a young person, but in my 20, early 20s, but I think that seeing something through really is important. Whether it's a success or failure is not the point. It's that you see it through. It's a really great sense of accomplishment. And I think it, it shines through. And that's when you're hiring. That's what you're looking for, you know, is people that have that ambition and they've accomplished something. And I'm not saying like they invented the wheel. I'm just saying that, you know, they followed something through. So this is actually fascinating. My team and I have talked about this topic. Like we want to work with young people who are, I guess, know know where the line is between like it being hard and then it being like just totally the wrong opportunity, right? So sometimes things are hard and our first instinct is forget it. I'm done. I'm leaving here, right? I don't, I don't like what they said to me. I don't like the f- critical feedback. I don't like the way this is going. Sometimes it's just about learning from what didn't work out that great instead of running from it. Then there's the other side of the line where like it's an abusive, you know, situation. People are actually like, you know, <laughs> cursing at me, you know, throwing things at me. This is not a healthy environment to work, right? But there's, um, I think the line is confusing for people. They don't necessarily understand that just because it's hard and it's not going your way, it doesn't mean it's like a bad job, right? It just might be a hard job or hard at this moment. When I was living in the UK for eight years, I've only been back in America for a few. And when I remember I, I was the CEO of these two amazing fragrance brands and I hired our first HR director. And after about a year, she she said, you know what, well, she's interviewing, we're hiring, and she's telling candidates, you know, this place, it's hard to work here. Mm-hmm. And 
I was like, well, Leslie, why are you telling people it's hard? Like, what? What do you mean? I'm, I, I'm not like, what, what, you know? And what she meant was that if you're used to everything being linear and, you know, going step by step by step and you don't like a little bit of chaos or, you know, things moving fast or you kind of have to be um, uncomfortable in the uh, uh, unknown. You have to be comfortable in the uncomfortable mm-hmm. or the unknown. And then I was like, oh, okay, I get that. And so, and I think especially when you're in smaller brands, it's hard. It's, it's just hard. There's not 10 people doing every little thing, you know, there's one person doing six things. And I think that, you know, people have to embrace that. And you, I think it's a great way to learn and move faster in your career. I love that Leslie was doing this. What I say to candidates and I say to every single person I meet, whatever their level is, is I say my company is a very fun pool to swim in, but you have to be a strong swimmer. And if you're not a strong swimmer, it is not going to be the right place for you because we're also a very empathetic group. So what will happen if you're not a strong swimmer? Every empathetic person is going to stop what they're doing and then come and lift you up. Well, what does that do? It halts everything, right? So there's no room. We're a small organization. There's no room for that Everybody has to be a strong swimmer, and then they have a lot of fun swimming together. But it's very evident when someone isn't a strong swimmer because everybody notices it, right? And everybody wants to swim with strong swimmers at this point. Um, But I think it's so important to be really honest about what – it doesn't mean everyone listens, but uh, or they think they're strong swimmers. But I think it's so important as an organization, you're really honest about like, what does it take to thrive here? Correct. And I think identifying what that is early on, because I think oftentimes when you're leading a business, you might not take the time to identify what are the key things that you want the culture to be about and what is already there and how can you build on that. And I think communicating that over and over and over and sticking to it. You know, it's fine if you merge a little left, right, but don't take a far right turn and then come back and expect everyone to follow you. So I think being clear on what it's about and what the expectations are and being candid about it, I think that helps people succeed and feel satisfied uh, about where they're at and what culture they're part of. So Lance, in a career of running so many different founder-created brands, how do you know when it's time for you to leave and move on to the next role? (laughs) How do you know? I think that for a certain point for me, it was about my career and, you know, my progress. And I was very considered on how I wanted to move forward. And I came up more through the sales route. And it's not easy to shift over to a general management position when you come up, because usually it's a lot of marketing people that go up. So I was very cognizant of that and how I went about my approach to my H job. And in in the first time I had Peter gave me the opportunity to step in as president, you know, that was a risk on his part. And, you know, I was really thankful for that. And that really opened the door for me. But I guess you know, it's just you know. I don't know how to say it. You know, like at, at PTR, uh, when I was at Peter, I got a call from a recruiter. It was my it would be my first CEO role. 
they say once a CEO, always CEO. I don't know that that's true, but you know, it was my first CEO role. It was in Europe. I was just like, you know what? I've been with Peter for eight years. It's just like, you know, I've done so much. Uh, it's time to just make a change. And, and I think that's, that's it. It's just something in you. I, I can't even, you know, I wasn't looking for a job when I was at Kate. Unilever owns it. I love Basiliki. I love the organization. Kate herself is an amazing person. But there was just something about joining Karen and also being part of a non-conglomerate. You know, like there's just such a feeling in being in an independent organization. Even though we're owned by private equity, there's still that independence. And I love that. I, I, I don't, I'm not the best um, politician. Yeah, I was on a previous podcast before this with um, Chris Payne, who's the CEO of Jane Iredell. Oh, yeah. And we were talking about, you know, he worked in the corporate world and we had a little fun laugh about I wasn't like very political when I was at these large organizations and I didn't understand the game. And it sounds like he didn't like the game either, but watching the game played by people who are good at the game. Wow. That is amazing. 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 And I have done that and I've learned a lot from it, but you know, I remember when I was at Puj most recently and when I was in Europe and they would say, well, we know how Lance feels or, Oh, that's very Lance. And I'm just like, well, what do you mean? You know, like, I don't, is this bad, you know, that I'm outspoken or I'm, I speak loud or whatever. So, you know, I find in a smaller organization in, you know, privately owned, I, I, you know, you could, there's just something you can be yourself more, I think. So I know some CEOs who, um, if I go to their LinkedIn, it's literally like two years here, two years there, two years, the next place, two years, the next place, two, like literally like it's a like a timer goes off, you know, like the kitchen timer goes off, it's time to move. Why do you what What do you think would inspire somebody to want to move that frequently at your level? I think that like a job like I'm in today, it depends, I think, first, one thing is the ownership structure. And, you know, if you're part of that, you know, if you have equity, and based on the exit plan of the investors, I think that can play a big role. And sometimes, you know, People come in, like when I joined my first PE job uh, before we sold it to Pooj, I mean, I was given a three-year timeline. It was a three-year horizon, but it happened in a year, so it was great. But then I wanted to stay, so I stayed on, and I was there for eight years. But I think sometimes, you know, there's that, there's that time horizon, and it's just like, okay, it's time to take the next step. And... Some people do that. Other times, I think if you are in a founder business, it's not, I mean, sometimes it's, it's hard. And, you know, that if you get to, there can be a, a conflict, you know, and even though they want the help, uh, the business help or the commercial help, they really don't. So I think that also makes you reassess, you know, and yeah. So I would say those would be the two main drivers. I, I've only ever been multi-year, except for my most recent gig. And that was simply because I met Karen and it was just like, wow, this is the right move for me. This just feels right. Is it really intimidating and scary at this level to leave something that you like and go to the unknown? Yeah, it is. My son, um, he's only 10. 
And he has now moved countries, cities, and schools multiple times. And it's so impressive to see his resilience and his ability to adjust. Literally, he started school two weeks ago in San Francisco, doesn't know a soul. And it's a temporary hold because the private school is, he's getting in, just got in, switches again on Monday. And my point to that story is more like, I look at him and then I think, you know what, I'm an adult, I can do it. You know, it's not, it's not so hard. But it also depends on the organization. Like, Karen happens to be, for example, an, very empathetic and has created this very nice culture. Uh, and I think that that has made this transition easier. My last transition was really hard. There were a lot of problems in the business that I don't think were surfaced very clearly. And it was hard. It was hard. I can't even explain it. I would never want to do it again. So, so I think, because you're usually just thrown in also, you know, like, you just show up one day as the CEO. You're like, hi, I'm here. You know, there's no one walking you in and saying, hey, uh, you know, so, and this has now been like my last two, three jobs. It's just like, you're just like, here he is. So that, yeah, that can be really intimidating. So I, I've learned the good and the bad and I've screwed it up as much as I've done it well. I love this conversation. It's making me so happy because earlier in my career, my early 20s, I would have looked at someone in your position and thought, you have no problems. And, you know, like, you're a robot. <laughs> like, I just would have assumed CEOs are just robotic people. And what I love about doing this podcast, it's like free therapy for me, is like I get to be reminded that like, yeah, you go to CVS to buy like shower gel too, right? Like, you know, you go to the food store to buy milk and um, somebody in the house has to fold the laundry, right? Like, like we're all just like totally regular people. And I love hearing about this situation where you're walking into a job where you think the business is in one place and you find out that it's not. And like, that's like walking into a college that has a facade of like whatever and walking through the door and realizing that's all fake. <laughs> like it's just a set. You know, and you can do really well at it. Some people I in particular did not do well this last time. Initially, I definitely cracked and it was a great experience and learning for me, but it also really helped me in this move make a very informed decision. You know, like very much questions, very things written, you know, I was very clear um, so that I didn't have that experience. So in a way, it was a great experience that I had because I learned from it. You know, I learned as a person. Um, I have a new coach, which is amazing. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good that came out of it. Lance, what does it look like when you crack? What does that mean? I can get a little snippy. I can be, yeah, I can get a little snippy. So, so it's outward cracking. It's not like inner crying and hiding. Correct. I'm not much of an innerd. I'm an outerd. <laughs> I, uh, I, I've learned a lot. Uh, no, I mean, I've really learned to keep it in and to, I mean, I've really worked really hard. And if you read my LinkedIn, there's a very long story, eight part story of my learning and getting fired from a job and why and what I learned from that. And, and you fall back sometimes, you know, you are who you are. But I've definitely learned more and more not to take it personally, 
you know, to really see it from outside and not just from your side, you know, to listen more. The pause, you know, the pause is so important, um, you know, but we all have our trauma and your tra trauma brings a lot of baggage with it. And I've really worked on learning about that trauma and how to how to deal with it and how to be a better person uh, in order to deal with, you know, to be a leader. Our um, old stuff really impacts the way we deal with things today. Um, I love this saying, if it's, I'm like, I want to get it right. If it's hysterical, it's historical. Have you heard that before? No, but it's very true. So like anytime I'm having this like really kind of outside, outsized reaction to something that's not that significant, I like, like stop myself. And I think like, okay, this is something old right? This is something really old. I'll explore in therapy with my coach. But it this thing that I'm pointing to is not actually a big deal. I'm going to say of all the times that I went over the top, none of it was worth it. And none of it mattered. You know, it's just reactionary. And it's more of something yourself in a panic. You know, it's a self doubt you know, or you're trying to prove something, it's never worth, never worth it. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the next um, segment of the show, we do have a fan question that I'll ask you now. Joanna Check needs to know what your sign is, Lance, if you're willing to reveal that on air. Of course, Taurus. Okay, so Joanna, I don't know if you were guessing based on Lance's responses. Um, you can let us know in the comments. Um, okay, actually, I do have one more question before we move on. Um, tell me how you define success today. Well, I think there's three types of success for me that all kind of, you know, merge. One is, you know, the, the most basic, which is probably the least important, which is the business results, right? I mean... Yes, I have to answer to a board. Yes, I have investors. Yes. So results. The next is very, very important, which is how my team feels. Are, are they happy to come here every day? Do they want to be around? Are they inspired? Am I listening? Am I, you know, I, I, we do, con you know, I'm always doing engagement surveys and questions and, you know, how engaged are they? And what, what do I need to do better? And what do we as a leadership team, for example, you know, what do we need to do better? So that to me is really important. And when I left my job in Europe, you know, I, the feedback and the, the things people wrote, that was just incredible to me. That was the best, most successful moment I've ever had. And then finally is how am I at home? And am I being a good dad, a good husband? Because, you know, your work can so much influence you. And I've seen myself and seen others, you know, you come home and you're grouchy. I don't have that. I'm not that way. And yes, years ago, but when I'm coming home grouchy, then something's wrong. Uh, and I need to fix that. So, so for me, yeah, it's the business, it's the team. And then it's just, you know, me as a person, how am I feeling? And I think the three of those are interrelated. I love this thinking, Lance. It's making me, um, remember 
that for like most of my career, I thought success was like making like, you know, money, like rolling in at money. And um, not that long, I've had my own business for 17 years at this point. So not that long ago, just a few years ago, I was in the food store in my neighborhood and like turning my cart into the bread aisle. And I ran into a neighbor and she asked me how work is. And by that point in my career, I was like, I work so hard. I work so hard. I don't make enough money. I work so hard. I don't make enough money. I was like on repeat, like hysterical, like crazy. And then I realized in that aisle, I'm like, wait a minute. If it was just about making money, I'd just go get a full-time job somewhere. Like that's like totally not what this is about. And it was like wild. I can like remember being in like where exactly I am in the aisle telling her this. And it took like so many years to realize that like I'm wealthy of time and freedom, you know, um, and that's really what I always wanted. And I have it. So like, you know, I am rolling in it, right? You are. Right? But it's like these outside pressures, right? Like watching people play the game and be so good and political and watching people sell their businesses for whatever zillions of dollars. Like it really does taint your brain in a sense. Of course. I always had a, um, I love manifestation and visualization and I always have a number in my past of okay now okay I now I make a hundred dollars I want to make two hundred dollars you know I make two hundred dollars I want to make three hundred dollars and I always had that end number and it was great and but what's bad about that is if you don't achieve it you're like oh, oh my god I'm a failure uh so I was really fortunate on in my career i've been very very fortunate and i but i know longer that's not a measurement for me anymore you know i just know that it you know you always read oh it's about you know do what you love and money will come and i really and i really believe that i think that it's more important to surround yourself with great people help others be successful be a great partner dad mother whatever and i think you know, that's going to lead to just a great life. I love this, Lance. I am so glad that I linked in you to ask if you'd want to be on this show. Like the time was great. How many days has it been that you've been on this job? I'm going to say 40, 40 days. Okay. So a little over a month, month and a half ish. Um, I'm grateful that you took the time to hang with us today. Okay. Last part of our show. And then you get to go back to work. The next question is, oh, are there any YouTube trends that you would say no to your son for trying? Yeah. Anything that's about, like, death, violence, weapons. Like, I'm like a maniac on that. I, and and I, it's shocking how many people use the F word. So that's the other thing. Like, yeah. I sit beside him listening, and I'm like, you know what? Like, no. Oh, it's so funny you say that because um, my daughter plays Roblox a lot with her friends and they um, they just hang on like I, FaceTime. I guess they're just like kind of just doing a conference call. They're not even looking at each other. And she she always tells them, don't curse because my, mom, my mom's going to stomp in here and be like, what are you doing? Yeah, it's uh, true. I can hear it from across. I'm like, <laughs> I hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, my son does the same. He's 10 and he does Roblox with one of his friends in L.A., and they're on FaceTime and they're not looking at each other. They're just talking to each other. Yeah, it's Roblox has some really fun um, games. I mean, maybe there's garbage on there too. I don't know. But the games my daughter plays are, seem pretty fun. Um, okay. Um, oh, this is a really good question. You might actually need to write a LinkedIn on this. So you've moved several times. 
Like, what is the advice you'd have to someone who's like moving for their job and they have to literally pick up their whole family? Yeah, make sure that they're bought in <laughs> for the long term. You mean the family or the family? Person? Mm -hmm. The family, you know, like forcing a move is not good. I haven't necessarily experienced that, but I realized after a long time that my husband was really upset about it. Um, so asking the right questions. And I think the other thing is kind of don't just work, meaning experience the, the area. Because I think that when my family's not around, I'll just go back and forth to the office. And what I did when I moved to L.A. was very different. And it really helped me integrate and feel more comfortable being there. You know, just exploring and walking or driving, whatever. Um, so I would say those two things. That's really interesting advice because I've had some people on the show who um, were presented great opportunities and um, moving just didn't work for the family for whatever reason. So they said, no, I'll pass. And these are like, you know, major jobs, right? But you are, um, when you're in the situation where you're picking up your whole family, the whole family is in that job, right? It's not just you. Yes, yes, yes. And this time the moves have been very well thought out and it's been a collective agreement. I mean, my son has a slightly less vote, but, um, you know, it was important that he was on board to a certain level and, you know, yeah. So I could, I've definitely said no to things just because of, you know, I'm not certain cities. Like I would just never move, you mm -hmm. know? So, and my husband would divorce me. So have to do it. Right. In many ways, especially when you love what you do and you're ambitious at it, um, it's a family job. Correct. Correct. We're all in it together. Yeah. Um, Lance, this has been so much fun. You're 250th, so that's a cool milestone. So, Congratulations. Thank you. I'm like a huge fan. I'm so, I was listening to your, the Beauty Connor uh, guy, because I'm a big fan of that brand, and listening to hit you guys talk. Um, so I hope I get to meet you, though, in, in the yeah. future. Yeah, I'll let you know when I will be in your neck of the woods, for sure. We'll want to meet up. Um, okay, so for everybody, thank you so much for joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review. As always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. And thank you to everybody. Thank you, Lance. Bye. Uh, thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.